This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Getting a little feedback here. We're going to work this out. It is Friday. Well, the Friday before the Friday before Christmas, I'm Santita Jackson, coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Want to know what you think about this story coming out of Texas. There's a young black teen uh, on track to become valedictorian of her class, Autumn uh, Manahan. And she'd been taunted by white students at this predominantly, overwhelmingly white school. Uh, She'd been called the N-word repeatedly. She went to the teachers. She went to the principal. She went to everybody in the school, her parents. And their parents went to folks. And no one would do anything. And finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of this, of this taunting, she snapped. And she was suspended. She is someone who has had no disciplinary problems. She was put on a 45-day suspension and in a school with kids with behavioral problems. I want to know what you think of that. We're going to be talking about it at the, uh, just at the bottom of the hour. And then, of course, we're going to have Chip Gibbons back from Defending Rights and Dissent talking about WikiLeaks. Have you seen these JFK papers that have been that have been dropped? They still haven't dropped everything. And most people don't believe the official story. They just really need to cut this out. It's just, it's so harmful. It's so harmful not to, um, for us not to know. Well, anyway, we're going to be talking about WikiLeaks because more and more people want to know um, just what the deal is. What is the deal? Um, More and more mainstream newspapers, who more and more people do not trust, um, are asking for Julian Assange should be released. They're saying that publishing should not be a crime. You heard uh, Chip Gibbons reveal earlier this week that everything that WikiLeaks has produced has been true. We're going to be coming up on Facebook very, very shortly, everybody, so just hold on, Morning Stars. But everything, everything has been absolutely true. Everything. So what do you have to say about that? Mm. Let us talk, everybody. Let us talk. Let us talk. Let us talk. Today I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio. My family to the north. Uh, Chad Larson and company, uh, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. Let's get to some of these headlines so we can get to the rest of the show. In Chicago, it looks like it's going to be a white Christmas. I guess. I don't know. But we will see. 773-763-9278. It snowed last night, everybody, and it's been a little chilly. 33 degrees will be our high today, and it's still going to snow today. 31 degrees will be the high in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It will still snow. In the NFL, the 49ers played the Seahawks, and they bested the Seahawks 21-13. to In the NBA, the Timberwolves will be facing the Thunder tonight. And the Knicks will be here in Chicago. Chicago playing the Bulls. In the NHL, the Golden Knights bested Chicago 4-1. to And um, in Chicago, will be playing Minnesota tonight. Love it, love it, love it. Much of the East Coast will be hunkering down this weekend as snow and ice will begin to smother parts of the Mid-Atlantic and New England as it has done with us, everybody. 
Russian missile attacks have been reported today in multiple Ukrainian cities, including Kiev, knocking out power and water supplies. The latest wave of strikes killed two people in central Ukraine and injured several others, military officials said. Amid Ukraine's continued pleas for international assistance, the U.S. Congress passed a massive defense bill Thursday that included $800 million more in support. The new defense spending bill also includes a provision that rescinds the U.S. military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate, everybody. What do you feel about that? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what your thoughts are. Republicans have long been lobbying to kill this vaccine mandate for service members, and some leading Democrats have also read it. it's time for a change in the policy. What say you? Call me at 773-763-9278. Elon Musk is under fire for suspending journalists from Twitter. Twitter CEO Elon Musk, a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist, suspended a number of journalists from the social media platform yesterday. And what the ACLU has condemned as an, quote, an attack on free expression that should be revered, that should be reversed. He justified his decision by claiming that those suspended Keith Olbermann, Drew Howell of the Washington Post, Michael Lee of The Intercept, and Ryan Mack of The New York Times, uh, Matt Bender of Mashable, for example. Uh, they shared real-time details about his location and accusations stemming from the journalist reporting on a Twitter account that tracked the movements of the billionaire's private jet. And so the worry that he had was that he said these were assassination coordinates that imperiled his family because people would then be able to see exactly where he is in real time. So what do you think about that? Kind of agree with him on that one, everybody. Eh, Privacy, privacy, privacy. But they did not publish the exact coordinates. What they did was publish, they published a link to a site that was carrying them. But what do you think about that, everybody? You know, look, we can disagree without being disagreeable. We don't need to endanger people, you know? Think about that, everybody. The Biden administration has released a six-pillar plan to address a surge in migrant crossings that is anticipated after the scheduled end of Title 42 next week. A watershed moment, they're saying the House, U.S. House of Representatives, has approved a statehood vote for Puerto Rico. For the first time in our nation's history, AOC has said the U.S. recognized its role as a colonizing force, Representatives Lydia Nydia Velasquez, who actually came out of the Jackson campaign in 1988, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, two of the four current Puerto Rican members of the U.S. House, were among those who celebrated the passage of the Puerto Rico States Act yesterday as lawmakers made history by approving a binding process for a referendum in the territory regarding potential statehood. And those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. going to be coming up on Facebook very shortly, but we've got Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, the author of I See You, Sis. Everybody get that book. It's going to bless you, bless you, bless you, as it has blessed me and so many others. Pastor, senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Bridgehampton, New York. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am so glad to hear your voice today. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I feel the same about you. Oh, bless <laughs> your highlight heart. highlight of my bless Friday morning, for sure. For Absolutely. Sure. Getting oh. ready for Christmas, huh? 
getting there slowly, but <laughs> I know I'm just getting to there myself. Gee whiz. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for this yet. Know. But you know what? I'm I'm yeah, grateful. I'm I'm grateful for another year that God has um, has given me. Let me not jump the gun because, you know, one uh, never knows do one. But I tell you what, I feel very, very blessed, very, very blessed, um, very blessed to, you know, to, ha- to have this opportunity uh, to be yeah. uh, in glad to be in his service one more time. So it is a one joy to be with time. you. One more time. I, now I understand these old folks, girl. I understand them. Oh, yeah. They said, glad to and be in a service we'll one more time. understand it better by and by. Yes. Yes, I understand it. I understand it. I understand why they said, okay, every shot I ain't sleep, I get it. I, girl, there's so much that I get now right. that I did not yeah. get before. But it's good hearing That's your voice. Right. Talk to us. What's going hey, on today? Good hearing you. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is doing great today. I was on a recent trip to Morocco, which I have now uh, clearly uh, indicated is certainly my second home at this point. And on a recent trip, I had the privilege to visit an ancient Berber home. The Berber people are the native people of Morocco. Berber, short for barbarian, which the Romans gave them that name because the Romans at the time felt like anything that wasn't Roman had to be barbaric. And so the word Berber, the name Berber is an offshoot of the name barbarian. And going through one of these ancient Berber homes, walking through each level, looking at the ancient tools they used to use, how they would um, reduce um wheat to grain, how they made their own oils, all of these different tools, how they made their own carpets and rugs and tapestries and just going through every room of the house learning custom after custom. And it wasn't until the end of the tour that I came outside and the guide that was with us that day, he began to explain that there are two doors to the house. There's a large door and there's a small door. And standing outside, you could clearly see the difference between the two. To my left was the small door. In front of me was the big door. Why are there two doors to this house? And he began to explain that in ancient Berber culture, people would travel via foot through the desert, through the Atlas Mountains. And when they got tired, they would seek shelter and refuge at a local home. And because they are so hospitable and believe in being great hosts, No one would ever be denied. They would be given shelter for their journey. But here was the caveat. They had to use the little door. If they weren't a friend of the family, if they were not an acquaintance, they had to use the little door. And behind the little door was a small room where they would be kept. They'd be housed. They'd be kept warm. They'd be given blankets. They'd be provided hospitality. They would be fed. But they had to stay in that room for three days. And in that three days, if they prove themselves to be trustworthy, if they prove themselves to be willing to help the family, if they prove themselves to be a good person, it was then and only then that they were allowed access to the main house and going through the big door. Someone is confused this morning and wondering, Tish, where are you going with this? I'm talking about access. Who has access to the big doors in your life? 
what have you given access to the little door that maybe should be have, should have access to the big door? I've come to find, Santita, that we are really quick to call everyone our friend. We're really quick mm. to have an acquaintance, and, and then immediately we want to drive stakes in that relationship and think it's more important than what it is. I want to encourage somebody today to assess your relationships and where you are in life. Are you allowing little door people to have access to your big door? That's a question for us today. Or maybe not just people, but things in your life. Perhaps there's a dream that you've trapped behind the little door, a goal, some sort of aspiration that you've trapped behind the little door, kind of biding your time a little bit to see if it's worth it. Is this relationship worth it? Is this job worth it? Is this dream worth it? Is this manuscript worth it? If that's you today, I'm telling you, it's probably already proven itself. You know what you need to do. And now is the time to give all of your dreams, your goals, your aspirations access to the big door so that you might move forward in life. And so that's the word today. What are you giving big door access to? And what are you giving little door access to? And I cannot say it, not say it this way as a Baptist preacher who believes in Jesus. This is why we love him. Because he accepted the lowly place of the little door for three days. But after that, I'm told, he rose again, proved himself trustworthy, and gave us access to a whole kingdom. And that's the good news. That is the good news. You know, because we do give people just free and open access. I know I've been very guilty of that. But that's, you know, I'm from from a family of ministers. Right. And so you don't close yourself off from people. And um, and, you know, my father said something. Oh, Pastor Tisha Dixon Williams. That really prompted my thinking. He said it to me just a few weeks ago. A lot of people who know him who have said he's probably the kindest person that they know. And honestly, my mother said she's been married to him 60 years come December 31st. She said, you know, your father doesn't have a mean bone in his body, not one, and he really doesn't. I've never met a person who's more forgiving, and when I tell you the the things that people have done to him that have been cruel, oh my gosh, from his childhood on, just a cruelty, but he continues to embrace and love people and bring them in. And his first response will be, you know, you've got to forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm like, okay. And he said, you know, to me, because my mother was on him about someone who was particularly vicious, not just cruel, but vicious. And she said, you know, you need to lean this guy because my mother is like the voice of (laughs) uh, reason. And, you know, that's his wife and he will listen to her. She said, you know, you need to leave him alone because this guy is he's a horror. He's not only been cruel to you, he's been cruel to to your children. And he said, you know what? And he looked at me, he said, baby, you do realize that the people who've been cruelest to me, I've had to help, and many of them I've had to bury. Mm. He said, and it gave me joy to help. He said, and I didn't feel like... Ha ha, I'm helping you. He said, you know, that's what God wants me to do. He said, and that's enough. Yeah. So we need those doors. And people do need to prove themselves to you, but you need to know that no matter what happens, it's going to be all right. 
Mm-hmm. God's going to work it out. God's going to protect you. So you just keep on, as my Uncle Mickey said, doing the right things for the right reasons. And my father says that all the time, too. Just, you just make sure your heart is clean. How about that? <laughs> and it's amazing that we talk about the Berbers, the way that, you know, we've taken the European def- wording for the Berbers. When right. they have the, right. the most enduring uh, carpets in the world. <laughs> you know? That's right. I mean, the they are known for strength. faith, strength, mm-hmm. you know, just for their, their works, from their hands to, to their faith. They are known mm-hmm. for being um, just a stellar people. But, you know, the Lord right. is working that out, too, because for you to give us this word today, and I want to thank you for that, um, oh. for you to give us this word, it's a blessing, because no matter what people call you, it's, it's what God calls you. And it's what God it's what God has called you to do. I don't know, that was just in my heart as I was listening to you. So it doesn't matter what man or woman calls you. Doesn't matter what they do, Pastor. That's right. That's <laughs> you know, live that. I hope you write this stuff down. I mean I mean, because really, because every week you give us something. Not what I'm saying, I'm saying what you're saying. Every week you give us something that makes us you know, Medi is just Medi can't wait. To get you on, <laughs> she said. Maddie. Maddie's oh, Mary, my oh, my sister Maddie. attorney Rodriguez. She can't wait to. She's like, oh wait, you know, is she, is she, did you get her up yet? <laughs> and I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for for being with us and for being so faithful. And you know, whether you're in Morocco or any place in the world or in the country, you're always coming to us. You're always with us, and it means so much. And I thank God for Pastor Stephen Thurston for introducing us um, because you, he said you're going to love her, and you have become my sister, and I want to thank you <laughs> for all that you are thank and you. do. Thank for you. all and that you are you and do. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. The feeling Blessings is overwhelmingly mutual. Thank you. Blessings to you. Jewel, you need to get out there. Jewel's up in New York. Jewel, you need to go out there to Bridgehampton. Yeah. Jewel, go on out there, girl. Or maybe, you know, when I'm in New York, Jewel and I can connect, and then we're going to come over to your church. I would love that. Yes, Oh, please. you know we're going to do that? I would love that. I, oh, don't I worry about that. it. We're going to be there. Sending you much love. But, you know, I'm going to talk about this story today. Pastor, just as you go, I want you to hear this. This is young... Mm-hmm. black girl in Texas and bless her heart uh, on track to be the valedictorian of her class I mean every child's dream no behavioral problems top student, respectful someone beloved by her parents but admired by them as well and by her friends and, and by the community but at her school in Lubbock, Texas, she's had lots of trouble. There were a group of white kids, and it's an overwhelmingly white population, who called her and the other black kids the N-word. And they kept doing it. And she, instead of striking out, went to the teachers, went to the principal, went to the powers that be, and they did nothing. So finally, one day, this young man, who was very aggressive and in front of his white friends who would laugh... He did it, and that was it for her. She grabbed him by his hoodie and slapped the living daylights out of him. Don't you ever call me that again. That's how they described it. And I said, you know, I'm nonviolent, but I hear you, honey. That happened to my brother when he was in boarding school. 
He went to the headmaster. If you had so many demerits, you could not come home on the weekend. So Jesse and Jonathan were very, very careful not to get demerits because they wanted to come home because you could come home every other weekend. And this guy kept calling him the N-word and wouldn't stop. Well, so they punished her. Put her in a school for truant kids, for kids with behavioral problems for 45 days. And now she might not be the valedictorian, although I doubt that they would have let her be the valedictorian given their apparent racism. And so we're going to be talking about that. Let's talk about this case. Do our black children, our children who are who are who have been his not bullied. We have been lynched on the N word. Do you not have a right to defend yourself? Why was she put away? Why wasn't that boy put away in that school for 45 days? Why her? Why not him? And the rest of his his crew. So I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. The phone lines are open. I want to know what you think about this case. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. 773-763-9278. 9278-773-763-WCPT. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. You know what ordinarily you hear on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. We hear Shapiro Wells, celebrations by us. She's taken these last couple of orders today. But you know what happened to her yesterday? She broke her wrist. Everybody sent your pearls some... I know. I said, wait a minute. How is she going to be able to cook? Is that selfish of me? Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. But more than that, you know, she works so hard. She works hard. She's about to become a grandma again. She's very excited about that. Um, and she's been working through uh, this uh, this period. You know, one of the reasons she started we started advertising her on this show because, so, like so many small businesses, um, during the pandemic, she took an eighty percent hit in her business. Can you imagine? I said, no, can't let you do that. So, you know, we're going to be working with you small businesses because now she has so much business that she has to limit the number of orders she has to take for the holiday season. So we're grateful. We're grateful to you for all of that support. But that having been said, there are a lot of small businesses out here. Just go up and down your street and see them and give them your business. I'm all for the big box stores. I think they're great. But where would we be without these small businesses? Where would we be? We can't cede ourselves over to uh, the big, big corporations. That that's very dangerous for us. So, sending her much love, of course. Celebrations by us, 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. I tell you, I plan to get my string beans with ham hocks and my greens, my mixed greens with ham hocks, and my uh, my chicken. I plan to get all of that. So, it's going to be great. <laughs> but I'm just going to pray for her today. And everybody, send her some love. Send her some love. What happened in Slayton, Texas? Uh, The story goes, according to this NBC report, the black girl's hands were shaking as she approached a white classmate in gym class. 
Autumn Roberson Manahan said, her voice quivering, I told you to stop using that word. Autumn is 17, a senior at Slayton High School. Uh, on track to be the valedictorian of her class. It's a majority white school, overwhelmingly. There are only a few dozen black kids there. But she asked the boy for four days in a row to stop using the N-word in class, and he used it, directed it at her to try and break her down. And uh, she told her parents, and they spoke with school officials. Nobody did anything. Now, he said the slur... Anywhere he could, talking trash on the basketball court while cleaning up at the end of the class, anything that he could do to absolutely destroy this straight-A student. There are only about two dozen black students at that small town high school just outside of Lubbock, Texas. And they've all been complaining about racial harassment. So why was she punished? Why was she sent to a school for truant kids, for kids with behavioral problems for 45 days? Why wasn't he? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Why is her honor of being the valedictorian of, of her class, why is that now in peril? Why her? Why is she paying the price? Why not these white kids who harassed her? So, you know, I said, let me just, you know... Go to Attorney Daryl Jones, uh, chairman of the Transformative Justice Coalition, leading civil rights lawyer, of course, another lawyer, brilliant political strategist. Uh, when I sent this story to Attorney Erin Connolly, she said, <laughs> Lubbock, yeah, I can believe it. And then, of course, Reverend Jeanette Wilson Esquire, uh, of course, head of Push XL at Rainbow Push. Uh, but let me start with you. Just step back and give us the 30,000-foot view if you will, um, Attorney Daryl Jones. You know, what Autumn experienced uh, at this school in Slayton, Texas, is just incredible. This is a young girl who, you know, her, her mother actually attended uh, the area school when she was there. They had moved out of the Texas and then moved back in. And mother and father decided that, you know, they wanted their kid to go through the school. And so when Autumn uh, attends the school, uh, there's a white student who is continually, white male student, who is continually uh, calling her an N-word. And, you know, she tells the student to stop numerous times, to stop. And finally, uh, she had gotten to the point where she had had enough. And she's in gym class, and he has his hoodie on, and he's walking by her and several times, continues to call her the N-word. She then starts trembling, gets really upset, uh, grabs him by his hoodie, and then starts hitting him and telling him, you know, in a way that uh, 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 many black mothers uh, in my era used to do, uh, hitting him with the symbol, right, with, with, uh, on, a, uh, on, a, on, on, on tone, saying, you know, stop calling me that Don't name. You I told call you. Call me that name in between slides. You got it. I'm not mad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you know, and she's going to, you know, if the school would not take the responsibility uh, and the steps to stop him from calling her and terrorizing her in school, then she was doing what she felt as if she needed to do to stop the attack on her. And it was recorded by uh, one of the other students. So of course, it went viral. They recorded it on their phone and put it on, uh, uh, up on social media. But interestingly, uh, the schools and their response 
obviously revealed Autumn's name, but did not reveal the white student's name. Uh, that, that was the uh, instigator uh, of all of this. In addition to that, uh, Autumn was subsequently, uh, you know, went to the hearings, the disciplinary procedures there at school, and uh, the white administrator, and I believe Latino administrator, uh, actually sent Autumn to um, you know, an alternative school for 45 days as her punishment, where it's supposed to be a very restrictive environment. Uh, it's unclear what, if anything, uh, happened to the white male student who was the instigator in all of this. When the school did its investigation, uh, they found that many of the, at least six of the students in the school that were in the gym class uh, supported what Autumn said with regards to the, uh, the, the other student uh, calling her the N-word and walking by her and her telling the student to stop. So, you know, there's a lot that's going on there. Autumn now is, is, uh, has gone under uh, counseling. She went to psychological counseling as a result of this. Uh, it's had a devastating impact. She was a, a really a very good student uh, uh, on her way to being ca- class valedictorian uh, before this happened. And she ends up now in counseling. Uh, she ran away uh, because you know, it, was, it was just so traumatic for her. Uh, there were thoughts that she might try to attempt suicide uh, because of all the pressure that was brought up, uh, upon her at that school from that student. And come to, you know, uh, to find out that you know, this wasn't a singular incident for Autumn at that school. But the school apparently has a... a, a pattern, a practice uh, of many of the white students doing this to many of the African-American students that are there. And it's only, let's be clear, it's somewhere between uh, two and three percent of the school is African-American. That's it. So there are not a lot of African-American students uh, that are at the school. So that's sort of the framework from which uh, we're working with with this, with this fact pattern, Santina. And, you know, uh, my heart goes out to, to Autumn and the family. But, but you know, uh, the school didn't act. So now there's a, uh, a federal lawsuit that's been filed uh, to hold the school accountable for what it did not do. It's failure to provide a safe environment for the uh, African-American students that are attending their school. Mm. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. What do you think of this case? Because now NBC News, for example, who have covered this story extensively, they have been trying to reach the family of the student, not even the student himself, but the family of the student, and they can, they're not available for comment. He was not sent away to the school for the kids with behavioral problems, attorney Aaron Connolly. Autumn was sent away. Autumn is the one. I mean, he's just going on about his business. Attorney Aaron Connolly, your thoughts. And why did you say Lubbock? Yeah, figures. (laughs) Well, I think when we we think about a place like like Lubbock, and I've had friends um, live there, attend school there, and have heard heard stories of similar incidents with um, with less impact, maybe uh, less of a, a, a newsworthy experience. But still, what we see in Lubbock, what we see in many schools ac- across the country, and I don't want to limit this just to Texas or the South, you know. I, in some advocacy and client work I've done, I've seen a very similar situation with the school district in suburban Detroit, for example, where there is a culture within the school district and that is 
works with the culture often in a town and a police department that enforce some of these uh, rules with school resource officers. And what happened here was Autumn was a victim of a system that perpetuated bullying, that perpetuated targeted harassment with racial undertones and provocation. This was not just one student. This was a targeted experience that this school allowed to happen, right? So there are multiple um, young boys from from the, the facts of this case that show that she was targeted because of her race. She was consistently bullied and called the N-word over and over again. She asked these students to stop. She did so respectfully at first. She became more forceful. Teachers, administrators, and other students witnessed and allowed this behavior, this targeted personal harassment of this bright young woman to cause her to go to a breaking point. And to be honest with you, if I had experienced this uh, in the same way that young Autumn did, I would have done a heck of a lot more in that gymnasium than, than what she held herself to. And I want to take a moment to, to think about your child, a child that you love, that's put in that situation where they're harassed every day, where they're afraid to come to school, a place where they're supposed to be excited, that's supposed to be a safe space. And instead of the adults in the room saying, I protect you, that this harasser should be immediately suspended, then if it continues, this young man should have been expelled. He's creating essentially a hostile environment for not only Autumn, but these other students, period. And what we mean, expulsion. Yes. You you get you get him out of the body. He's a virus. Right. (laughs) And 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 allowing this type of behavior to happen more than once shows to the other students, hey, you're you're not you're going to get a free pass for this. This is okay. You are condoning this behavior, and it goes to create this larger wave of culture within the district that is clear that this has been going on. That there's some there's some uh, intimidation or culture of fear where administrators do not feel that they can adequately or they don't care to protect black students. And if this is happening to black students. It may be happening to other students. There's clearly a culture that allows this bullying and allows and condones systematic racial discrimination within this high school. The administrators need to be um, looked at. The teachers in this school need to be looked at. The relationship that uh, the police and the enforcement mechanisms with this uh, clearly, there's some problems, and uh, I would love to hear the panel's thoughts on this alternative mm-hmm. school that they have these students in that does not sound like it's conducive to any sort of learning environment for, for anyone. It sounds like a place of fear. So so that's a whole other issue, that students are allowed to be put put in that system instead of receiving a, a, a normal and supportive education, right? So there's a lot to unpack here, Santita. I'm devastated for this young woman's family. Sounds like she was on an amazing path, and I think she can still get there, but only if we hold these folks to some sort of account and do not allow this type of bullying for our young people. As well, we you know what? You can't let them. Season. You know you can't let them break your spirit. 
Because the fact is, our ancestors have endured even more. Mm. This should be a building moment, not a breakable moment for her. And that's where, you know, this is where, when I look at my Jewish brothers and sisters, because they have been raised, my friends who are in their 30s and 40s who are Jewish, it's as if the Holocaust happened to them. And you've got to, you've got to keep your children vigilant. What do they say? The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. You've got to do that. So these, I mean, you know, this is a, this is an awful thing. Yep, I get it. But no, you have to then turn around to your child, as painful as it will be, Jeanette Wilson, Reverend Jeanette Wilson Esquire, head of Push Excel. You've well, got to strengthen them. But this is a horrible thing. Jeanette, they sent, they sent her to the school for the truant kids, for the kids who have behavioral issues. They didn't, not this boy. What, what is the deal with that? I think uh, I think this is a topic that really sparks the need for, or first of all, it showcases the level of uh, complicity for discrimination that exists within our public school systems across the country. This just highlights what happens to many students, whether they're in private uh, boarding schools or whether they're in these uh, public schools. There are there are school administrators who embrace discrimination. They embrace this atmosphere of bullying and hostility perpetrated by students. The fact that not, none of the administrators responded to deal with the boys, not just one, that were uh, bullying and taunting this, this child. The whole school atmosphere seemed to support the notion that this is what kids do. And the fact that the young man and the young men, because there's one man, that one young boy that was the leader, but there was a whole a group of other students that were supportive of the taunts, the bullying, the words, and they watched this without any uh, any support to the young lady. Women uh, undergo this kind of uh, treatment in schools all the time. It reminds me of what Linda Brown experienced, uh, you know, the young lady in the Brown versus the Board of Education case. It reminds me of what happened to the Little Rock Nine. The fact that we enter a school, we're academically ready and prepared, and still we are treated as as if we don't belong, as if we are somehow different than uh, the rest of the students because of the skin color. Now we're going to have that same thing with uh, sexual orientation in schools, uh, the same thing with uh, students of different cultures. Uh, young girls that uh, wear hijabs are, are uh, bullied and uh, mistreated in schools. And this kind of atmosphere it's, it's not just in the South. It's not just in, you know, it's, oh, that's just Texas. No, it happens in Illinois. And uh, these school districts, these enclaves where a majority people feel that our children are better and our children are special. You've seen this bullying result in uh, kids coming up to school and terrorizing and shooting other children. This kind of violence. And this alternative idea that you take a child who was the victim, convert her to the perpetrator, and damage this child for life. Send her Mm -hmm. to an alternative school as if she is some incorrigible kid 
that doesn't belong in, in regular society. And it's to send a signal, as the slave masters used to do when they lynched us mm-hmm. on trees outside of churches. It, it's to send a signal to the rest of the community that this person doesn't belong here, doesn't fit here, and so we have to remove them from our midst. And, you know, uh, Reverend Jackson often says, every child can achieve with this, you know, the five A's of education. You have to have the appropriate atmosphere, both at home and in the school. For that young lady to go to the school every single day and be bullied and taunted every single day, not because she was academically unprepared, not because she was tardy or truant, but because the kids were teasing her, calling her out of her name, making her feel different, and mm-hmm. uh, that she didn't belong there. And it says to uh, parents in the community, we don't fight back. I thank God that she has strong parents and a will to say, I'm not going to accept this. Well, you know what, Reverend Wilson? I think, you know, because punishing people who fight back, because I think that's also one of the signals that's been sent. That if you dare to fight back, if you dare to speak up, if you dare to step to this boy, who this young man, who is attempting not just to intimidate you, who's threatening you. How dare you come to him? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I mean, and it makes me, it, it makes me, I'm, I'm glad that she had enough wherewithal to, to step to him. I really do, and I say that as someone who is nonviolent. But at some point, you cannot be violated, and you must let people know, don't play with me. Don't do it. And that is where, and she didn't, I mean, because even as a mainstream, as a corporate media say that she snapped, I'm like, wait, 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 snapped? She responded. She said, wait a minute, are you serious right now? And as the other black kids just stood there, I guess. And that that, that makes me sad, too. This school had a culture of these incidents, and no one did anything. Not a teacher, not any one of the administrators, not the principal. This not is the not superintendent. The superintendent, nothing. The whole town. This is a small town. This is not. It's like one of our suburban school districts. There was no response, and this is not the first time. This has been happening. So that meant there is a culture of expectation and acceptance of that kind of behavior in the school. And it cre- apparently other parents were fearful. They didn't say anything in school board meetings, just, you know, just ignored it as if this is the normal behavior of schools. And we see that happening across the country. That's why uh, at Push Excel, we're beginning, we're having a major uh, statewide meeting initially with the school board in the state of Illinois. We can't just sit by and let stuff happen in school buildings say absolutely nothing. You know what? Let let me make this recommendation to you because the Push Excel program was launched to national acclaim. I remember when Vice President Hubert Humphrey on his deathbed called my father to come and see him. And he said, you know, I've been watching you down through the years. And this was at the beginning of 1977, was it? And he said, you know, I've been watching you and Jesse, you've grown and grown and grown and grown. I mean, in 1977, my father, at the beginning of 77, he was about 35. He was very, very young. He said, look, um, and this program, this Push Excel program that you have, it is so special. 
I think it can save not just black kids, it'll save America's kids. So I've been making calls, you know, to my colleagues because they know that I'm on my way out. And I want you to meet them and I want you to get the help that you need to continue to grow this program. And it's a national program. And now since COVID, we do things by Zoom. And this should be a national call, Reverend Wilson. Because this is happening in, it's happening in Texas, it's happening in New York, it's happening in California, it's happening from coast to coast, it's happening to black kids, it's happening to brown kids, it's just happening. And so when we come back, let's talk about it, everybody. I want to know what you think. Call me at 773-763-9278, Call in. Renee? You know, Nina, all everybody, all of you who have been making these comments, because, you know, the fact is we have not heard about this story. I was looking at Morning Joe this morning, and I enjoy them, and I realize that they are a talk show. They didn't talk about this. They talked about Trump for the first 15, 20 minutes. I don't care about him. This is what's impacting our children. Stop having these silly side conversations. Somebody's selling NFT cards. What? What? So What? Y'all keep talking him up to make, and you're blowing him up. I'm sick of that. You've got a girl down here. You don't know what God has put in Autumn Manahan. Autumn Roberson Manahan. You don't know what genius is inside of this girl that these people are trying to snuff out. This is what impoverishes America. We cannot afford to throw any human being away. Not just in America, but all around the world. But we do it every day. We cast people away. Because we try to break their spirits. Who is this boy and who are his parents? What is what is his community? Why do you have to diminish her to lift yourself? What's wrong with you? If you are a little person on stilts, you're still a little person. You're not a giant, darling. Who are you? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with this school district putting that girl... In a school for children who don't know how to behave. Well, maybe they were giving us the signal. They're telling us how they really feel. She doesn't know how to behave. I want her to be a runaway slave. And you know what a runaway slave is? I just heard you, uh, Attorney Jones. Have you heard of draptomania? It's a psychological condition. Has anyone on the panel heard of draptomania? I'll say this very quickly before I go to break. Draptomania, my brother Jonathan, Congressman-elect Jackson, said, have you heard of draptomania? He said, you know, you know almost all the words in the dictionary. I said, no, I don't. He said, yeah, yeah. Draptomania is a a psychological condition formulated by psychologists during the time of slavery. If you ran away from slavery, if you defied slavery, you had a sickness, and they called it draptomania. I'm glad Autumn has dropped the mania. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, call me at 773-763-9278. Let's talk about this case down in Texas where this young black girl, Autumn Roberson Manahan, uh, was called the N-word, and no one in the school system would protect her. 
No one in the school system would protect her. Finally, she uh, took matters into her own hands. She snapped. This is a straight-A student, someone who was on track to become valedictorian of that class. And this young white boy kept calling her the N-word and would refer to her people as N's. And she grabbed him by his hoodie and slapped the living daylights out of him. And they sent her into a school for kids with disciplinary problems. Now I want you to call me at 773-763-9278 and tell me what you think. You ought to be outraged by this. Because whether you're black, brown, yellow, or red, when you are violated, when they tell you that you are not to speak out against your violation, that's what they're telling you. That's what the establishment is telling you. And that ought to be unacceptable to you. 773-763-9278. I'm Santita Jackson on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. And AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to meet my morning stars over here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. The Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. And meet us on the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. That's the only page that you can befriend, where you can befriend me, everybody. Santita Jackson and Friends. Got a tremendous panel as we're talking about this case in Texas. Um, the, uh, the NAACP and her parents have filed a lawsuit against the school system. But I think other people need to join in because we need to lift up this young lady. And because in so doing, we are going to lift up a lot of other kids who've been silenced, who might be afraid to speak out. They need to be empowered. They need to know that they are somebody and they should not, they should not take this kind of maltreatment. And where is this young man who did this? Where are his parents? Where's his family? Why was she sent to be disciplined? Why not him? And the other boys and persons, boys and girls who were involved in this, young men and young women, seniors in high school, people who were on the precipice of being able to vote, call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, in Chicago, we got a little snow, everybody, last night, 33 degrees. Some snow showers, they will be continuing today. 33 will be our high. Minneapolis-St. Paul, 31 degrees. Snow showers. Maybe we'll have a white Christmas after all, everybody. Did you see Thursday night football? Well, if you did, you got a treat. The 49ers bested the Seahawks 21-13 to in the NBA. It's going to be an active night tonight. The Timberwolves will be playing the Thunder, and the Knicks will be playing the Bulls right here in Chicago. The NHL, the Golden Knights for Chicago won, and Chicago will be playing Minnesota, the Wild. This evening, everybody, it's snowing all over the country. Please, everybody, be careful as you're traveling and getting ready for the holiday season. Russian missile attacks have been reported today in multiple Ukrainian cities, including Kiev, knocking out power and water supplies. The new defense bill, spending bill, also includes a provision that rescinds the U.S. military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Republicans have been lobbying to kill the vaccine requirement for service members. What do you think about that? They have done that. An attack on free expression. Elon Musk, the Twitter CEO, the CEO of Tesla. He is under fire for suspending journalists from Twitter. Of course, he's a self-proclaimed absolutist. ACLU and others have said this is an attack on free expression. He justified his decision by claiming that those suspended Keith Olbermann and Drew Harwell of the Washington Post, Michael Lee of the Intercept, Ryan Mack of the New York Times, and on and on and on, shared real-time details about his location. He said imperiling his family, putting them in real danger. He called them assassination coordinates. What do you think about that, everybody? 
everybody. 773-763-9278. I got to tell you, I, I don't think you should be publishing where people are. I really don't. And maybe it's because I grew up with assassination threats every single day. That's beyond the pale. You shouldn't do that. A watershed moment. House approves. The U.S. House approved the statehood vote for Puerto Ricans. Congresswomen Nidia Velasquez and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, two of the four current Puerto Rican members of the U.S. House, were among those who celebrated the passage of the Puerto Rican Status Act on Thursday as lawmakers made history by approving a binding process for a referendum in the territory regarding potential statehood. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. In the meantime, you know, we've been talking about financial freedom, and I want you to reach out to Team Hochberg. Do you have poor credit? Are you using your, do you have a credit card or are you using your debit card? If you're using your debit card, that's the wrong thing to do. You can't build credit that way, and it's a bad thing. You're wasting your time and your money. Do you have massive credit card debt? Do you want to buy a house? You say, I don't have enough credit. Do you want to buy a house and you don't know where to begin or a building? Call Team Hochberg at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, but particularly when you're trying to get out of a financial hole. You need to reach out to them. Call them at 855-56-DAVID or or go to 56david.com. When you call them, you will give them, just tell them everything. They have heard it all. They've heard it all. And they can help you to come up with a plan to, they can negotiate with these credit card companies for you. Don't you do it. Let them do it. They can help move you from your debit card to a credit card. They can help you to get a home. Yeah, you need to have a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So I want you to follow Tom and Sonia. They have two kids. They had $100,000 in credit card debt. 17 credit cards, but they're living on their credit just like so many other people. They said, well, we'll just give Team Hochberg a shot. And aren't they glad they did? They were able to save their home, get their credit card debt all the way down. Their payments went down to by $2,800 a month. They were able to do that, but that's because they called Team Hochberg. Why don't you do it? Let that be your Christmas present to yourself, your holy season present. Get out of debt jail. Get out, get out, get out. All right, everybody, let's get back to this story. I want to hear what your thoughts are. 773-763-9278. Something needs to be done about what's happened to Autumn Roberson Manahan. Let me go to Eddie from Dallas, Texas. Eddie, how you doing? How you doing, lady? Uh, I I'm want doing to fine. I'm glad to hear your voice today. Bless your heart. Thank you. uh, I wanted to say uh, praise God to your to your dad and stuff. Hopefully, one day I'll get a chance to come up there and be in one of your seminars. Oh, come uh, on now. The uh, thing that I want to do, like I told the uh, presenter, Herschel. I'm in Dallas. I be I, I grew up in South Oak Cliff and everywhere else. He played football, and, and the only thing, the attitude you see on TV. I walked up to some of the old football people. He never wanted to listen. You know, we said we don't care if you're black or white. We want everything to be equal. You move into one of the suburbs like um, Alpha Mansfield, and the first thing you hear is PRT. That's BS because back in the '70s and '80s. We had uh, a mixture of Hispanics, whites, and everyone else that was teaching. But as far as that young woman, 
I would see their ass off. And what she did, it was respectable. Because anyone down here, we would have turned more than grabbed the hoodie. I'm saying that as somebody that you see all the time, that I write uh, sometimes. That's, that's the way we really think. I mean, I'm multinational. I mean, I have dual citizenship, but I will not stand there and let somebody degrade me, degrade my family, or anything else without stepping to them. I mean, that's just, that, that's just my point. You know, I mean, I had strong women, strong men in the family. I mean, besides so just going to that, I mean, why did it take so long to mm-hmm. have that happen inside a Mansfield, which is one, which is rated eight and a half to nine or ten, both private and public? Uh, we had a black student, a black young man, just like him, or just like her. Mansfield paid this guy's lawyer's defense to keep that out of the news. Research it. You've got a great set of panels. I didn't know that until it happened. Uh, any takers on your panel? I, I will uh, listen at this point. Thank you. Oh, wow. No, Eddie, thank you so much. You can hurry on up to Chicago. Don't be intimidated by the snow. Get on up here because <laughs> we need your energy. Let me go to C.D. from Chicago. C.D., how you doing? C.D.? Okay, let me try one more time. C.D.? Okay, my board, my board operator. Let's just try and get CD up. Let me go back to, um, let me go back to my panel very quickly. Everyone, continue to call us at seven seven three, seven six three nine two seven eight seven seven three seven six three. WCPT at the bottom of the hour. We're going to be talking about WikiLeaks. Are you surprised by all the things that Chip Gibbons was able to reveal to us about what Ricky, what WikiLeaks has revealed? Are you surprised that WikiLeaks has not published? Any bad information, everything they have published has been true. So let's talk about it, everybody, at the bottom of the hour with Chip Gibbons. In the meantime, CD, I've got you up now. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Santita? Good morning. It's great hearing your voice. Yeah, um, I wanted to talk about the young lady. And, um, you know, I thought about it as soon as I heard the story. Uh, you know somebody, I know it's a real big shot in the dark, but somebody that could ad- advocate for her, that could relate to her, is Candace Owens. Mm-hmm. Candace Owens, if, if the world was right, <laughs> Candace Owens could be a huge advocate for her because she did, you know, had went through racial discrimination and the NAACP stood up for her back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, Candace Owens could be an excellent advocate for that young lady. If and the she world should be not topsy-turvy. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but no, I mean, look, whatever her, her political views are, what they are, that having been said, right is right and wrong is wrong. She could still be an advocate for this girl. And she might come at it from a place that's different from where I might come at it from, and, and, and maybe not. That having been said, I think, you know, right is right if it's in the trash can, wrong is wrong if your mama does it. You remember that, C.D.? Just just stand up for this child. This is not supposed to happen to your child. They are not supposed to be mistreated in this way. And, I mean, C.D., what do you make of the fact that they sent her, the girl who had been not bullied, I'm so sick of that expression, she had been harassed. 
feeling like a lynch mob was around her. That's what she felt like. Don't give me that little lightweight bully mess. Are you kidding me? When you use the N-word in America, bad things happen to black people. We don't live. I can't speak to anybody else. Other people have been, we get routinely lynched. We've been lynched so much you got a museum to it. And when they opened the museum, they had more than 5,000 commemorative objects denoting lynchings that they were able to prove. And you spread that over 14, over 400 years, that's a lynching per month. 40, over 4,800 4, months, that's a lynching per month. Plus, so not only was she angry, she was scared, Jeanette. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, head of Push Excel, and, and I want Attorney Jones and I want Attorney Connolly to respond to that. This girl's in well, this town that's hostile. She's in this school that's hostile. No one's responding to her. She had to be frightened. I'm sure she was. And then you take me out of the school and place me in, and we keep saying alternative schools. Those are basically juvenile detention centers. That's jail. That's not just another educational institution. I never said it was alternative. I called it what it was. It's a jail. (laughs) And so now here you have a valedictorian, honor student, now being treated as if she is a problem child, that is, if she is a violent person that we cannot tolerate inside our buildings any longer. When you remove a child from school and ex- expel them, you are saying they are a danger to themselves and to other students. That's what they said about this child. She is due all sorts of, uh, I mean, her parents, her family, they, they owe this child money for how she has been abused. She had to go in the hospital to have emotional stability, psychiatric evaluations, and treatment as a result of not just what happened in the school, but the fact that she was jailed for something that she did not cause to happen, something that she was responding as a defense, self-defense, to protect herself. She responded to days and weeks. We don't know how many hours of taunting and abuse that she suffered from this boy and others in that system. And nobody said, let's remove these children from the school. Let's bring their parents in to understand what kind of home atmosphere do these children come out of. So it's just layers of stuff that happened to this one little girl for no reason. Nobody looked back and said, why were they uh, harassing and taunting her every single day? That's why she responded the way she did. Like, Absolutely. I can't take this any longer. You know, I mean, and she was, and she was on, on track to be the valedictorian. You don't know how he felt about that. Attorney Jones? Yeah, and you know, Santita, uh, I, I think that Reverend Wilson certainly is on track in talking about the environment of the school. I, I, one of the things that we've got to keep in mind that uh, at the school, at the Slayton High School that she was attending, uh, there are about 386 total students, grades 9 through 12. Only 22 are black students. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about, you know, that, that small percentage of students that then become, you know, the prey, really, of the environment that's being created in that school. And, you know, and we've got to put this in perspective, right? On the first day of class, what's happening in autumn, as they do in, in many new students that are going to, uh, to a school for the first time, they ask the new students, stand up and say, where are you from? 
Autumn stands up and says the community that she's from, uh, that she's from there in uh, in Slayton, Texas, and you know one of the one of the white students turns to her and says, "I run your block inward." So it's immediate. You know, this this is an environment that's being encouraged by the school because of their inaction. And the other piece you know, that I found really troubling is that when they send these students to the uh, to the disciplinary uh, alternative education program, their date program. The students that go to that program, as you're talking about the jails, they're forced to wear orange jumpsuits as a requirement of being in that school. They're subject to even more racial taunting. Uh, from, if, if you look back, and I go into the summary from the uh, the report that was put out by the ACLU, the NAACP, and the Texas uh, Civil Rights Project in this case, it, at the alternative school and at the high school, they have white students making the monkey sounds at the black students, calling them porch okay. monkeys, saying you're not worth anything. So this is an environment that's being uh, really cultivated uh, out of that school. We also know from that summary, Santita, that at the Slayton High School at a football practice, right, this is Autumn's brother, I believe, uh, runs out of breath and so he's on the sideline gasping for his breath, trying to catch his breath to get back into practice. One of the white students comes up to him and says what? He can't breathe, just like George Floyd. This is the environment that they are nurturing out of that high school. It's problematic and having filed uh, OCR complaints and having been a part of enforcement of, of OCR complaints, the federal government and the U.S. Department of Education has got to get involved in, in the education process of these students because they cannot learn in an environment that is so hostile to them. We spoke previously, Santi, uh, of, a, uh, of, a, of a lawsuit that was filed because we said that the school district wasn't providing adequate education for the black students because of the environment that they had created, that the black students couldn't learn in that environment. Well, I'm wondering if that's what's happening here. Do we see a similar situation here where they created such a hostile environment that the black students can't learn? How does young Autumn go from being on track to being a valedictorian to finally being placed into a, uh, a facility because she needs counseling because of the emotional trauma, a mental health facility for the emotional trauma that she's received at the school that's supposed to be teaching her? That's what bothers me a whole bunch in this whole mess, Santita. Oh, but you know what? I think they're trying to teach her another lesson. They're trying to break her. See, we have to understand. We have to understand that we are in a situation where we are we are in a hostile environment, and this is where we have to teach our children. Because I was raised, you know, my brother when they sent my my parents had to send my brother Jesse away from Chicago, not because they wanted him to go to boarding school. No, we didn't want to. I didn't want to see my brother go. One of the saddest days of my life was dropping him off at that boarding school in Indiana. My mother had tears in her eyes, and I had to turn away from her because my mother was not into watching you cry and shed some tears. I couldn't believe it. But Chicago was so hostile to Reverend Jesse Jackson that his namesake had to get out of here. But you have to make your children strong. you got to make them strong. They shouldn't have to deal with this, but they need to be prepared to deal with this. And they need to understand that they must fight and they must know how to fight. That's important. Was she in a hostile work environment? So was Ernie Green in the Little Little Rock Nine. And yet they learned. And he became a top person, a trailblazer in corporate America. 
Even when you are in a hostile environment, you must be tough and you got to make it. Harriet Tubman made it. Dorothy Height made it. Fannie Lou Hamer made it. James Bevel made it. He and Marion Barry were on the same plantation, Daryl, and Aaron and Jeanette in Mississippi. And then they left the plantation in Mississippi and came out and changed the whole world. You can do it, too. Don't let them break your spirit. That's what is unforgivable. And you need to find out who this boy is and who his parents are, and you need to put them on front street. They need to be held accountable, and they need to be made, they need to, be made to answer publicly for what they've tried to do to this girl and all those other black kids there. Oh, yeah. That's what needs to happen. Let's talk about WikiLeaks, everybody. I love you, Reverend Jeanette Wilson. Can't wait to see how you're going to proceed with this. And attorney Aaron Connolly and attorney Daryl Jones. Think about this, and it makes me hot. And it ought to make you hot. And you ought to join some organization and get involved so this does not happen anymore. It's happening to young black kids, and you know what's happening to Hispanic kids, and what's going to happen to poor white kids. Because that's the way it works. And it ought to be unacceptable. Let's talk about WikiLeaks. They have not told a lie yet. And Julian Assange has been in prison. Hi. What does that say about freedom of speech? Back with more for the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I had to sound so nice. I had to bring him back twice. Chip Gibbons of Defending Rights and Dissent. He is their policy director. So brilliant. Chip, you're just so brilliant, and we thank God for you and all the information that you give us. Uh, but Chip has been talking to us about WikiLeaks and Julian Assange and why his case is so important. And many of you were surprised when he was on earlier in the week when Chip said, you know, everything that WikiLeaks has published has been true. Every single thing. So what does that say? When the truth teller, the whistleblower's in prison, what does that say about Chelsea Manning when you put her in jail? When you know that Chelsea Manning is transitioning and you put her in a position where she could be hurt in in prison. Are you serious right now? All because Chelsea Manning told the truth? Really? Think about that, everybody. Think about that. Think about how we treat the truth tellers. Excuse me, not the whistleblowers. I'm going to stop calling them that. These are the truth tellers. Excuse me, Chip Gibbons. These are the truth tellers, the people who step out and say, you know what, I know I could lose my whole career. I could even I could even lose my life. But in order to make America and the world better, I'm gonna give you all this information so that you all can make the change because this is wrong. This is not this is not supposed to happen. So talk to us. Publishing is not a crime. You have now Daniel Ellsberg who brought us the Pentagon Papers. The Pentagon Papers arguably helped to hasten the end of the Vietnam War when Americans, Americans thought something was off. 
But when they found, they found out actually that things were wrong, that wait a minute, many things were being committed in our name that were atrocious. Think of Lieutenant Cowley putting all those people in a ditch and killing them. Are you serious? Come on, y'all. Talk to me about Julian Assange. I mean, let's just start right here before we go back into this. Why is this case important? And why is he in prison? Why does America want to, why does America want to bring him back? Are they trying to treat are we trying to treat him fairly? Okay. No, we are absolutely not trying to treat Julian Assange fairly. I was I was chuckling, but it, it it's not funny. It's very it's a very grim situation. But why is this case important? I mean, at the end of the day, whether you like Julian Assange or not, you like WikiLeaks or not, Julian Assange is the first time in the history of the United States that an individual has been indicted under the Espionage Act for publishing truthful information. The Espionage Act has been repeatedly used against journalists sources, people in the government who have given information to the media, and why my organization opposes that, that's very different than than going after the journalist or the publisher themselves. So the Nixon administration, you know, they tried to stop the New York Times from publishing, fighting the Espionage Act. Um, When the Supreme Court rules that they can't put a prior restraint on the New York Times and the other papers who um, had printed that information, uh, they left open the question as to whether or not they could be prosecuted after the fact. And a lot of the papers actually didn't publish any more sort of in-depth reporting uh, on the Pentagon Papers. That was left to Beacon Press, which was uh, a press associated with the Unitarian Universalist Church. And the Unitarians really, at great personal risk, uh, published an annotated set of the Pentagon Papers given to them by the late Mike Gravel, then a senator. But since then, there's been this open question of what about the publisher? And multiple administrations have have chosen not to go after the publisher or the journalist because they recognize it's such an apocalyptic move from the standpoint of the First Amendment. You know, the Barack Obama administration, uh, they prosecuted a record number of journalist sources uh, under the Espionage Act, more than all previous administrations combined. They prosecuted Chelsea Manning. They indicted Edward Snowden. They attempted to prosecute Thomas Drake, who's an NSA whistleblower, whose case fell apart. There's a whole bunch of these cases. Um, They're really all very tragic. But when it came to WikiLeaks, they said, no, we're not going to do this, not because they liked WikiLeaks, but because they recognized that any precedent set by a prosecution of WikiLeaks could be used against the New York Times, the Washington Post. I mean, what WikiLeaks is accused of doing is legally indistinguishable from what the New York Times does. And in some of these cases, the New York Times has done the same thing as when it comes to publishing the diplomatic cables. You know, Obama was under and holder under heavy pressure to reverse course. The FBI and the CIA demanded a personal meeting with Obama to get him to to change his mind, and and he just he refused to do so. Um, to his credit, although you know prosecuting Chelsea Manning, prosecuting Edward Snowden was was not to his credit. Those were unfortunate escalations that that put us down the path that we are now. But you know he, he wasn't willing to go that far. Uh, when Donald Trump comes in, he appoints, you know, Jeff Sessions, Mike Pompeo, 
uh, William Barr, people like that who have long-term vendettas against WikiLeaks, who have long wanted to prosecute them, and who revamp the case uh, against WikiLeaks. And it's worth commenting on just how every level of the U.S. government has at some point been involved in the war on WikiLeaks. Uh, since Chelsea Manning was in the Army, the investigation was originally uh, in the Department of Defense. It was turned over by the FBI. There were two separate FBI investigations, one based out of Virginia, one based out of New York that was closed and merged into the Virginia one. As part of the New York investigation, FBI agents in a U.S. Uh, prosecutor lied to the government of Iceland and entered to the country of Iceland under false pretenses. They were expelled. Uh, the NSA discussed having um, uh, WikiLeaks declared some, I forget the exact terms, declared something that would allow them to do greater surveillance of it. Uh, the CIA and others declared them information brokers, not journalists to get around the First Amendment protections. And then in 2017, when WikiLeaks published Vault 7, uh, which was a series of revelations about uh, CIA surveillance, uh, Mike Pompeo, Donald Trump's very sort of uh, bellicose CIA chief, went on an all-out war against WikiLeaks. And there's been revelations uh, that have emerged that during this time, the uh, CIA co-opted the security firm who was providing uh, security to Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, Assange had sought and received asylum in Ecuador. The British government, clearly at the behest of the U.S. government, uh, basically kept a 24-hour uh, watch around the embassy and made it clear they would allow, they would arrest him if he left, even in a diplomatic vehicle. And it's, it's worth, you know, commenting that in, in Chile, when, when Pinochet took over this, this fascist dictator, I mean, people seeking asylum would flee to the Swedish or Dutch embassies, and they would take them out of the country in embassy cars. And that even Pinochet, right, a, a horrible dictator who murdered thousands of people, right, even he wouldn't go so far as to assault a uh, political refugee in an embassy vehicle. But the British and the Americans made very clear that they would do this to the Ecuadorian government. Uh, so he's stationed there, and they co-opt the security firm, This allegedly this Spanish company called UC Global that's currently under criminal investigation uh, in Spain. And we've heard allegations from both people who worked uh, for that company and former members of the National Security Council that the CIA plotted to kill, assassinate Julian Assange, or potentially kidnap him. And, you know, some of these kidnapping schemes that they were discussing that were, were um, made public by a, a report in Yahoo News that was based on the, I think, testimonies of 27 former intelligence officials. I mean, they included things like they were going to get into a shootout uh, on the streets of London, or if he got to the airport, they'd, they'd shoot the tires out of his out of his plane. They were plotting some real James Bond stuff. And of course, you know, James Bond is, is a series of films where it's fictional. If you start shooting at cars on the streets of one of the busiest cities of the world, if you start shooting out tires at an airport, I mean, you're going to kill people well beyond Julian Assange. But this is the depth of their obsession. And eventually they brought this indictment. And the indictment is 18 counts. 17 of those counts are brought under the Espionage Act. And all 17 of those Espionage Act accounts pertain to information that was published by WikiLeaks in consultation with the New York Times, The Guardian, El Pais, and other major papers between 2010 
and 2011. Uh, they include the rules of engagement in Iraq, right, the rules for when you can fire upon people. Uh, they include diplomatic cables from the Iraq and Afghan, or cables from the Iraq and Afghan wars, which show, um, you know, that the U.S. knew the Iraqi army was engaged in torture and that they were turning soldiers over to the Iraqi army. It shows covering up of, of war crimes and, and atrocities. And it shows that we pretty much knew the Afghanistan war was unwinnable and not going very well. We continued to send uh, patriotic people to die in that war for another decade at least. Uh, it includes the State Department cables. These are uh, cables from diplomatic embassies around the world, and they're of grave interest because they show things like the uh, U.S. Embassy in Haiti worked with uh, Levi Jeans and Fruit of the Womb to bully the Haitian government into um, um, uh, refusing to raise the minimum wage. The Haiti, Haitian government wanted to raise its minimum wage. Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world. It is the only successful slave revolution. Uh, and the U.S. and others have been punishing them ever since, you know, they freed themselves and they still are doing this to this day. Um, they showed how in Yemen we had a secret agreement with the Yemeni government where we would bomb the country of Yemen and the Yemeni government would say it's our planes bombing ourselves. Uh, there's some very interesting cables from Af- from Italy uh, that Stefania Morici, the Italian journalist who works very closely with WikiLeaks, uh, from when Italy had a center-left government elected. They were very concerned within the State Department that they would um, not spend enough money on the war in Afghanistan because they'd be too pressured by uh, trade unions to engage in social spending. So that's the way the U.S. views Italy and its country, that trade unions and center-left parties are, are a, a threat because they'll spend money on human needs and not war started by the U.S. I mean, there's, there's stuff from almost every country in, in the world. I mean, it, there is stuff from every country in the world. It's a pretty uh, uh, comprehensive list of documents. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of pages. No one person could read them all. But uh, Verso published a book shortly after called The WikiLeaks Files, where they got different experts on different countries and regions. And, you know, they read the files from those countries and they published uh, reports based on them. So it's an incredible look at U.S. diplomacy. And, you know, when Chelsea Manning was talking to the person who eventually turned her in about why she leaked or why she gave this information to WikiLeaks, I mean, she mentioned two things with the Iraq and Afghanistan war logs. Uh, she wanted the people to know the truth about 21st, about asymmetrical warfare in the 21st century. As Dan Ellsberg has commented, asymmetrical warfare is the euphemism we use, what we used to call colonial warfare, you know, where one side has tanks and guns and, or, and, and planes and the other side has much less sophisticated weapons. That's why it's asymmetrical. And because she said that she had access to crazy, almost criminal backroom dealings, which is what these State Department cables are, in addition to showing the State Department acting as a lobbyist in Haiti for uh, Fruit of the Loom. Uh, it shows some pressuring companies wait, to wait, buy wait, weapons. Stop. Or, stop, yeah. stop. <laughs> Our government was acting on behalf of corporate America, essentially, to... Yes. Yes. to impoverish no, yes. the Haitian people. I just, I just don't want you to because you're giving us a lot of information, no. and I just think it's important I know. I know. for us to understand, because that also helps us to understand the motivations behind war, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, that because many of our soldiers get overseas and they're angered by the fact that they are essentially taking bullets for mercenaries. Like what used to be Blackwater and things like that. They're like, they're the ones who are being paid 100000 plus a year. And we're protecting them. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, and it, it, it is. I mean, I mean, corporate America drives a lot of U.S. foreign policy. This is not one of the things he's indicted for. But, you know, WikiLeaks also published the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was this trade deal that was being negotiated uh, that a lot of people thought benefited corporations. And it was being negotiated secretly, right? Our government was going to uh, negotiate this trade deal. We weren't allowed to to read it. And when WikiLeaks published it, uh, the final thing that Julian Assange is indicted for, and one third of all of the charges against him pertain to this, and you never hear it mentioned in the media, is he released the detaining assessment files uh, from Guantanamo Bay. This is the U.S. Mm. assessment of people at Guantanamo. And I know that people who have had clients at Guantanamo have used some of this information to um, to to advocate on behalf of their clients. I know information about drone strikes in Pakistan has been used for victims, civilian victims of drone strikes who are seeking justice, and they've been successful in what they've done. So this information has been of immense journalistic value. It's been of immense value to human rights advocates, and it's been of value to people who are victims of human rights abuses, and they're trying to put you know, Julian Assange in jail for, for publishing it. And I, I'm aware that he's a very controversial figure in, in the U.S. And you can discuss the extent to which that's valid or if that's based on demonization of him or, or both. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, none of that really matters when we're talking about putting someone in prison for, for publishing truthful information that was in the public interest to do so. And, and if no one also someone who has no... This is also someone who has no, you know, obligation to protect classified information. He's not a U.S. citizen. He's he, Australian. He WikiLeaks is based in Iceland. He's not someone who's a government employee who signed a non-disclosure agreement or agreed to protect classified information. I mean, there's no grounds to go after him, and he's not even in this country. And we're, you know, going overseas to bring him over here. To, to essentially, you know, do bad things to him, uh, which is really outlandish. And it's worth pointing out that, you know, multiple U.N. bodies have examined the treatment of, of Julian Assange and found it to, to violate basic international law. The United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention found that his time in the Ecuadorian embassy was orchestrated by the U.S. or U.K. and Sweden and constituted a form of arbitrary detention. The U.S. United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, you know, who's written about how he didn't want to get involved in the Julian Assange case because he thought Julian Assange was a bad guy and he thought his claims of, of torture were um, facetious, right? And then when he investigated, he learned everything he had been told about Assange was, was not true and that he found he'd been the victim of psychological torture. So this is someone who's been subjected to repeated human rights abuses already. And we know if he comes to this country, he's going to be in solitary confinement. He's mm-hmm. going to be in these sort of very restrictive units uh, that are in line with international norms. You know what? Let me go to Renee. <laughs> Renee has been chomping at the bit all day, and you, this has finally pushed you over the edge to call in. How you doing, Renee? Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas to you guys, too, and thanks for taking my call. I'm doing okay. I just, you know, I thought that freedom of the press, freedom of speech, was supposed to be like a check and balance uh, for our government. Um, but instead, people get punished to tell the truth about the government, even get killed. And it looks like there's an attack on uh journalists, period, because in Mexico, journalists are being killed, and some of the other uh, countries in Central America, people are being killed in South America. We know about the reporter who got killed in Saudi Arabia, and Biden said he was going to punish them, but nothing happened. And, and in fact, I think they just uh, gave the guy immunity uh, well, you know, from Saudi Arabia. Well, you know, father named him head of state, so you can't prosecute right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I wish that trick worked for uh, other people. And then you had the uh, the reporter in Israel who got shot by the uh, soldiers, and their family isn't getting, you know, any help from our government. And over there, they're not doing anything. But it just seems like if you try to be a, a truth seeker and publish the truth, you get killed or you put in jail and um, they they weren't trying to help Julian Assange. He's been sick. They weren't trying to give him the treatment that he needed. They should have let him out alone. He shouldn't be in jail, period. But it's just peculiar that our Constitution doesn't seem to be working for everybody the way that it should. And it makes us you- work off. No, but stay right there, because you know what? It works when you work it. We're the ones who have to make the republic a republic. We're the ones who have to make the system work. That's why I want you to know about Julian Assange in his case, so it's not just something that you kind of gloss over in the papers, uh, because he is being mistreated. He's being treated horribly, and we're seeing that from Autumn, Roberson, Manahan, to Julian Assange, and other people, not whistleblowers, but truth-tellers. And people who really want to make the society right, they're the ones who are punished. We we have given the patina of respectability chip. Stay right there, Renee. Um, to I've, I've got to run. To re- oh well, be, be careful. <laughs> you know, okay, love you, girl. God bless you. We give the patina of respectability to the people who disrespect us the most, and and then we see this man demonized. You know, because we cannot forget everybody that Dr. King was about the most hated man in America when he was killed. That enabled him to be killed because more than half of black people disapproved of him. My father went to work for him. He and my mom went to work for him when he was moving into his highest level of unpopularity. After he won the Nobel Prize, it was kind of sort of downhill for him from there. Okay. I think it's important because it's important for us to remember that because now, you know, it's Dr. King, you know, he's this exalted figure. He was not that in life. Malcolm X spoke to an empty ballroom, y'all. When are we going to wake up, Chip, and and recognize in real time the heroes among us? The people are trying to make things right. Don't you think that Daniel Ellsberg is a hero? He said, prosecute me. We wouldn't dare. <laughs> but if he had not given us those Pentagon papers, where would we be, Chip? The last three minutes belong to you. I mean, I think Renee's comment is excellent. I, I would just say that, you know, yesterday there was a press conference for, for Daniel Hale, 
who is a, a drone whistleblower who uh, gave information to the media about uh, civilian casualties in the drone program, as well as uh, how the terror watch list is, is abused. Um, and there was a pre- he's in prison right now for 49 months. And there was a press conference yesterday. Representative Ilhan Omar spoke at it. Daniel Ellsberg spoke at it, uh, calling for Biden to commute his sentence. And you know, one of the speakers was also Steve Donzinger, the lawyer who won the landmark judgment against Chevron and then got disbarred and put in prison. And he said something, and I was thinking of what he said when Renee was talking. He said, um, there's a wholesale attack in our country on people of conscience who speak out and challenge entrenched pools of power that hurt our society. And and that's what we're seeing. And it, it's bigger than just Julian Assange. It is an attack on people who tell truths that challenge corporate interests, that challenge government interests, that are in the public interest, that are you know, designed to advance democracy and make us a more informed people about the decisions that are made in our name, but never with our knowledge, never with our consultation. I mean, nobody asked me whether or not we should be bombing Yemen and said, mm. said we're not doing it. It's the Yemeni government. Nobody asked me if we should, you know, use our State Department to bully Haiti. So mm-hmm. this is this is a wholesale attack on people who stand up to, you know, entrenched power. And we need to protect them as they seek to protect us. How can we support defending rights and dissent to your organization? You can visit us on the web at rightsandissent.org, and there's all different ways uh, there about how you can help us and get involved and contact your congress member, write to Biden about Assange, this whole bunch of tasks you can do. Where is this? 30 seconds. Why is he being pressured now to, to release Julian Assange? I just think a lot of people thought it wouldn't get this far. They thought it would solve itself if they just didn't get involved and because it was controversial. And now we see that it's clear that this is U.S. government is serious about going through with this and they're willing to set a precedent that will be used to harm the media writ large. And now that we're this far along, people are finally realizing they have to speak out against it when it would have been helpful if they did this a few years ago. Well, you know what? I think you know what we cannot discount, Chip. I think we also need to look at the fact that corporate media is at an all-time low in terms of their trust from the American public. And that that's dangerous for them. You know, increasingly, we do not trust them. We don't. We do not. And so they're fighting for their relevance, too. And in fighting for Julian Assange, they might just actually just do the right thing. Tell some truth. I'm Santita Jackson. I hope to see you on Keep Up Alive on Sunday from 7 to 9 Eastern Standard Time. Go to your iHeartRadio app. We'll be right there. And go to your iHeartRadio app. I did a wonderful interview. I had a wonderful time with Sharon Pulliam yesterday. Thank you all for tuning in. But Sharon Pulliam is on Gospel 1390 here in Chicago. And just uh, look them up. She's a fantastic singer and very inspirational woman. 